All right, well, you can go ahead and uh, have a seat and settle in. Well, welcome everybody. Glad to see you today. Um, my name is Andrew, and um, I know a lot of you, but for those of you who I don't know, hello and uh, welcome. Uh, and we also have kind of the Miriam fan section here too, so I'd love to meet you afterwards if I could. Um, welcome. Um, I've been going to North Campus for uh, since January, and I've really enjoyed the environment. Before that, I was at Central Campus, and um, I've really enjoyed you all and how much you uh, have meant to me over uh, this period of time in my life. And I'm just excited to bring the word to you this morning. Um, we were kind of joking beforehand because I told Josh that I would jump in and help out with the sermon whenever he wanted me to do it. And, uh, but he gave me the fall, the most bummer passage in scripture almost. <laughs> but it, it's actually a really good passage. It, it, it kind of helps us see what's coming, and it also points to Christ. So all joking aside, it really has um, been fun to study. And so we're in this series in Genesis, and uh, we're going through and we're asking the big questions of who are we, right? And why are we here? What is our purpose? So Genesis, first book of the Bible, we're asking these big questions. And today we'll kind of add to some of those uh, answers and we'll kind of answer the question, who are we? And what has gone wrong? And has God done anything to, to help us? And so um, one of the things I like is, is, is about the Bible is it's one unified story. And something that helps me remember the story of God is uh, four words, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. That's the grand story of Scripture in four words. And it helps me kind of figure out what God is going on in an easy way to remember it, and then find where my life fits in the grand story of God. So creation, God has created everything. In, the, in what we read earlier, he is the almighty maker of heaven and earth in the Apostles' Creed. But fall, men uh, have sinned against God and deserve punishment. The next word is redemption, and that means Christ has come as God's answer to the sin problem and provided this redemption on the cross. He's the center of God's story. And then the fourth word is new creation. That's when God will make it all new in the new heavens and the new earth at the end of time. So in our series, we've had five sermons so far, and uh, we've learned a lot of amazing truths. First thing we've learned is God is our creator, right? He has made us in his own image to reflect his glory. And he invites us into his rest and given us rest. He's given us work and great purpose, roles in his good creation. And he's uniquely made us male and female. That's what we learned last week. So all of this is just an amazing design, right? Everything has been created good for a good purpose. And today, we come to the second act that's all been about creation so far. Now we've come to the second act, the fall. 
And this is where uh, man has fallen from uh, a state of innocence to a state of rebellion and to a state of corruption. So today we're looking at Genesis 3, and this is going to show us how sin came into the world. And so in our time this morning, I'd like to walk through the passage and explaining some of the consequences, how it relates to our lives today, and then we'll also see that Christ is, is victorious. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 3. I have three main points this morning. Um, number one, Adam and Eve sin. Uh, number two, many consequences begin. And number three, in the end, Christ will win. So little did you know you would get a rhyme this morning for the outline, right? <laughs> That's free. The rest is going to cost you. Adam and Eve sin, many consequences begin, but in the end, Christ will win. So if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 3, um, or you can use it on your phone or your ESV journals. Uh, we'll be looking down at it a lot together. I'm not going to read the whole passage right away, but I'll be referring to it throughout the whole time. So first, Adam and Eve sin. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And so the story unfolds. The second act begins. The curtain is lifted, and we see the serpent um, tempting Eve. And later in Scripture, we read that this serpent is actually Satan. Revelation 12.9 says, The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So the serpent in this garden is Satan, the devil, who is called the deceiver of the whole world. And Jesus calls uh, Satan in John 8.44, uh, a liar, and also the father of lies. So right away we see in this passage that Satan is a deceiver and a liar. Verse 1, he's called crafty, right? Or in this word means cunning. And so he twists and distorts God's good word. That's how crafty he is. How he does this is that he misrepresents who God is. He misrepresents his good character. He misrepresents his good purposes. So I've got three points about Satan and his deceptions. First, he questions God's purposes. Second, he contradicts God's word. And third, he distorts God's motives. So first we can see that Satan questions God's purposes. So he said, did God actually say you couldn't eat of any of the tree? So what he's doing is he's causing doubt in Eve, right? Satan is saying, do you believe God? He's so restrictive. There's that one tree that you can't eat. Second, Satan contradicts God's word. Contradicts his word. 
Eve replied and said, They can eat of, uh, of any of the tree, but the, the one tree they will die if they eat. Satan outright lied at this point. He said, You will not surely die if you look at verse 4. So uh, Satan here is saying that God is not truthful, right? You can't trust his word. And the third tactic is that Satan distorts God's motives. Hey, God is leaving you out, he's saying. There's more to life to know than what God is letting you on onto. Verse 5 says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan's saying, Don't you want to be like God, knowing good and evil? He's holding you back. There's more to life, more wisdom to know. So he's causing doubt about God, about his purposes, about who he is. And he's essentially saying three things. God is limiting you, God is lying to you, and God is leaving you out, right? And when we sin, we're believing these same things, acting like these are true. So look at verse 6 now. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was a desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and then he ate. So this verse here shows us why sin is so attractive. It says, good for food, a delight to the eyes, would make one wise. So it seemed tasty, seemed yummy, seemed like something that was, would be fulfilling. It seemed like you know, it could give new information, make me wiser, new insights. And so God took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave it to Adam, and the passage says, who was with her, and then he ate. So we see a couple problems here, right, with Adam, both Adam and Eve. Adam was right there with her the whole time, didn't say anything, didn't protect his wife. And Eve let herself be deceived. Satan was twisting and distorting God's word, believing that eating of the fruit would bring greater fulfillment. They were also convinced that they needed to know more, right? To understand good and evil, the passage says, this means that they chose right here not to trust God, but themselves. They wanted to know both good and evil, and I think the reason was is so that they could decide what was good and what was bad for them. So they were saying, you know, no, God, I want the power to decide what is right for me, what is good, what is bad, so that I could have the power to decide. So in other words, they didn't simply want to break the rules, they wanted to, to make the rules. And we do, do this too, don't we? Um, I do. Uh, God, in this situation, I know what's best. Or I know you, uh, you tell me to be happy in you, but this over here, this will really make me happy. And so in this one act of sin, everything falls apart. It changed everything. It brought pain to where there was complete peace. So that's Adam and Eve's sin. The second point is many consequences begin. So the next section is verse 7 through 13. Let's read those. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and that they knew they were, they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is that that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So what's the first thing they do after they realize they have sinned? They sow these fig trees, and they try to cover their nakedness. And they do this uh, because they were hiding, right? They wanted to hide in shame. They were ashamed when before they were not ashamed. Genesis 2.25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So before there was sin, there was no shame. But after the sin, there was exposure. They were no longer innocent. They became filled with guilt and shame of their sin, and so they hide. And so God comes along, walking in the garden, calling out, and they hid. Adam explains why they hid in verse 10. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So shame and fear, right? He hid because he was ashamed of his sin and he was afraid of God. And actually, I think he was probably afraid for his life. Remember that God said that he would surely die if he ate of the tree. So they hide. Um, but we know that no one can hide from God, right? How silly. God sees all things. He knows all things. And then they start blaming one another, right? Don't they? Um, they shift the blame. God asks them what happened, and they each shift the blame. Verses 12 and 13 Adam blames Eve. It was the woman you gave me. Eve blames the serpent. It was him. So we see a couple consequences here. Instead of taking responsibility for their sin, instead of saying, yes, you know, I did do this. I'm sorry. I want to make it right. Instead of doing that, they blame each other. They hide. Um, and so, and, and also I think we're, we're, too, we're, we're very quick to blame others too when we sin or other things instead of owning up to it. So we can see our stories a lot in what we're seeing here. Um, I thought of some other consequences of the fall. Those mosquitoes and the gnats, those gnats, that one time of year that get all over you, you know, and, and you get to get the bug soother and spray it all over from fairway, and they, that doesn't help either. Um, so gnats, I think, are definitely a consequence of the fall. Um, <laughs> The check engine light, you know, that thing goes off and you know there's trouble. That's the consequence of the fall. Um, and then also that spinny thing on the computer, spinning, 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 <laughs> loading, 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 and, you know, you're trying to get work done. That's definitely a consequence of the fall. Uh, but the rest of the, gen as we go into Genesis, we'll read um, God's judgments. So more consequences come. We know that God is just, and he must punish sin. And so these kind of bear that out. And so the rest of the passage is kind of in four segments of judgment. For Satan, for Eve, for Adam, and then for Adam and Eve together, sending them out of the garden. So verse 14, if you look at that, God judges Satan first. He says, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So here God curses the serpent above all animals. He will go on his belly, and he will eat dust. And those are metaphors for humiliation and defeat. So later in Scripture, it, it talks about how God's enemies will go down to the dust. And so we learn here that Satan will ultimately will be defeated, humiliated and defeated. It's only a matter of time. We also learn that there will be fighting between the descendants of Eve and the descendants of Satan. So the idea of the word enmity here means strife. It means hostility. It means a deep-seated ill will. So serious fighting. And this is another consequence of the fall. There's going to be this deep hostility between the people of God, the descendants of Eve, and the people who do not follow God, the descendants of Satan. I'll come back to the end of verse 15 later, because that talks about Jesus, and I want to do that at the end. Um, but let's go to verse 16. God turns to the woman and says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So now we see that there will be pain in, in pregnancy and in giving birth. So for, for Eve, this means that her unique role as a mother to carry children, to have children, will now be filled with trouble. Right? God told them to be fruitful and multiply, and they will, but it will be filled with, with great pain. The rest of verse 16 says, your desire will be contrary to your husband. And this word means desire for, or over, or against. So this means that now Eve will have a sinful inclination to want to go against her husband, to do what's opposed to him. Instead of walking in her created role as, as helper, she'll want to snatch his authority, take authority for herself, replace that, her role as the, as the ruler of the relationship. And the next phrase says, but he shall rule over you. So it's talking about Adam. So this most likely means that Adam will have a harsh desire to control Eve. So he's now going to have this sinful in, inclination to assert a harsh ruling type of leadership instead of a gentle, guiding leadership that he was called to. Some versions have the word dominate to get the point across. And I like the NET version. It sort of translates this out, how I'm describing it. It says, you, Eve, will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. So the consequences is fighting, fighting in marriages, right? Uh, each person will want to selfishly control the other. And then the Lord turns to Adam, verses 17 through 19. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So I have two, two points I want to highlight here. First, 
Adam's work now will bring pain. Adam's work will bring pain. So God curses the ground. That's Adam's work as a gardener, right? To tend the garden, to tend the ground. And before this, it was a delight. It was easy. Um, it brought forth fruit. But after, after the fall, now it'll be hard. It'll be filled with thorns and thistles. And we see later in Scripture that not only this, but the whole creation is subject to decay, subject to corruption and groaning and pain. That's in Romans 8. And then second, Adam himself will die. Adam and Eve will die. Verse 19, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So their physical bodies will now decay, and they will die. And physical death here, too, is a sign of spiritual death. So sin always produces separation between a holy God and unholy people. Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And then look at the very end of the passage, verses 22 through 24. Here's the judgment for both Adam and Eve together. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So verse 20, 24 says that God drove out Adam and Eve. And this word means to send out to expel. It's used in other places where the Israelites were told to expel the Canaanites out of the land. So it's Adam and Eve are banished from God's good presence. And he sets angels to guard the way. In other words, uh, the kids were expelled from school and the door was locked. They couldn't get back in. But we do see grace, right? God's grace, too, in the midst of all these judgments. God quickly sent them away, and he did this to prevent them from eating of the tree of life and living forever, right? This was a sad judgment away from God's good presence, but it was also a mercy, because if they stayed in the garden, ate of the tree of life, they would live forever, right, in this decaying state, in this pain state of pain and decay forever and ever. That would be a very terrible way to live for all eternity. And we also see in verses 20 and 21, God's grace. It says, The man called his name, or wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So Adam and Eve did not die right away, but, but kept living, having children, following that command, be fruitful and multiply, right? But really, God could have struck them down right here immediately. And I think Adam lived for over 900 years, which is a long time. Um, I wonder what his secret was of living so long. Maybe we can ask him in heaven. It might have to do something with the green smoothies, right? With kale in them or something. But somehow he lived a long time. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, but we could maybe ask him, you know, in, in heaven. 
Can you imagine Adam in heaven, though? Like, hey, who are you? I'm Adam. Oh, oh, you're Adam, you know, sorry. <laughs> and God also sacrificed these animals um, and clothed Adam and Eve, right? He covered their shame. And a lot of people think that this is a foreshadow of Christ, who's, who was a sacrifice, who covers our shame, the shame of sin. So we see here in Genesis 3 a wide variety of consequences. First, it, consequences in relationship to God, right? Fear, shame, blame, separation. Also, consequences with, with one another, right? Fighting in marriages, relationship, discord, fighting among descendants. And then also in, in nature, the ground is cursed. Um, there's going to be pain in roles, pain in work. So we see that God's good design created for humanity has um, been turned upside down by sin. And we just look at this passage and we say, these things are continuing today, aren't they? Um, we too struggle with sin. Because of our sin and the sin of others, we experience great pain when there should be peace. So um, just to summarize, I want to take a look quick at what this passage teaches us uh, about sin and, and Adam and Eve's sin, but also our sin as well. And I've got four principles. Number one, sin distorts. Sin distorts. So it questions God, doubts God's goodness. What's true, he take, it, it takes and twists it. Right? There's only evil um, with sin. What's the, the solution to this? Well, we need God's truth, right? We need to cling to his word um, so that we're not distorted with these doubts and questions. Our DNA, one of our DNA traits says to live God's story, so we need to cling to his word. Live in its power. Number two, sin deceives. Sin is so deceiving. It promises fulfillment, it promises the good life, it promises wisdom, but it never delivers. It seems so good, it feels so good, but it's only evil. So what's the solution to sin deceives? I think it's just we need to find our satisfaction in Jesus. Pray hard, trust and treasure Jesus above all. And our mission says, statement says pursue Jesus, like we pursue Jesus together. Right? So let's pursue him. That'll help us against the deceitfulness of sin. And then number three, sin destroys. It brings shame and, and blame, hostility, destroys relationships. And we wonder, where is all the hope? And I think in the midst of all this chaos, we just, we just need to turn to God. Right? We need to turn to God. We can't get out of this mess. We need him. He's the only one that's going to provide peace to the destruction of the fall. And number four, sin is deadly, right? It brings physical death, spiritual death, separates us from our loving creator. And scripture later tells us in Romans 5 that we're born into Adam. We're connected to him. We're connected to his sin. And death has spread to us all. We have a sinful nature. We're by nature God's enemies, 
and we deserve condemnation. And we also choose to sin over and over again. And remember in our confession that we do every, every week, each service, I think it explains it well. A couple phrases we say, we confess that we are sinners by nature and by choice. We, like Adam, deserve your holy and just punishment. So what's the solution to this? I think it's, we need a Savior, right? We can't get ourselves out of this mess. And it is messy. We, we, we definitely feel the mess, don't we, of life. When someone we love goes through cancer, um, when we experience the guilt and shame of our repeated offense against God, you know, when we fight with loved ones, when we have tension and relationships, when we find ourselves filled with hate and, and fear, when we should be filled with peace and love, we wonder, is there any hope to all this mess? And the answer is, absolutely there is. So Adam and Eve sin, these many consequences begin. But let's get to some good news. In the end, Christ will win. So you look back at verse 15. It's a short promise, and I want to explain it out just a little bit but it announces the gospel. And the rest of the story of God kind of bears out what we see. So God says to Satan, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then we'll zero in on this last phrase. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So there's going to be hostility, fighting between you, Satan, and the one descendant. Satan is going to bruise his heel, which means he's going to deliver a harmful blow. But then this one descendant is going to come along um, and bruise your head. And this bruise is, is definitely a stronger idea. It's actually, some translations have it crush, and that's a better idea of it. This descendant is going to crush his head, delivering a mortal blow. So you see the difference is it's, it's a harmful strike versus a mortal blow. And this descendant is Christ, right? We learn later in Scripture. So here, like, it's kind of compact, but, but here God is promising that Satan will give Je Jesus this harmful strike. And this happened on the cross when he died. But he rose again, right, from the third day, and this was delivering um, that blow to Satan's, to Satan's head. So Jesus claimed victory over sin, over death, over Satan, because he rose on the third day, crushing this mortal blow to Satan. So those who trust in Christ can be made right with God, and they also can be resurrected themselves. I really like Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. I want to read this to you, and it explains this really well. Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So this passage explains that Jesus needed to become a human, he, so that he could be this descendant of Eve, right? This snake crusher. 
He died and was raised to life, demonstrating victory over death, over the grave. Jesus destroyed Satan, who had the power over death, the fear over death. One commentator puts it this way. When Christ died for our sins, Satan was disarmed and defeated. The one weapon he had was stripped from his hand, namely his accusation before God that we are guilty and should perish with him. When Christ died, that accusation was nullified. All who trust themselves to Christ will never perish. And Romans 16, 19 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So Christ is this great snake crusher. He's overcome death. He's conquered Satan. And, we, and Adam hid, right, because he was afraid of death. But we don't have to hide from God. We don't have to be afraid of death. He is conquered. He covers our shame. So that's the third act of the storyline. Remember from before the storyline of God, creation, fall, redemption, new creation? That's the, the second act. That's the fall. And the rest of the story of the Bible is the story of redemption. There's a, an excellent children's book out. Um, it's called The Biggest Story, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. The, great, the Biggest Story, how the snake crusher brings us back to the garden. And I just saw that title, and I'm like, that's exactly what this passage is saying. And what I'm saying here is this is the biggest story that we're involved in. And right now, the snake crusher, Jesus, is in the process of redemption, bringing us back to the garden, back in the end, the new heavens and the new earth, when we'll be back to the garden. So Jesus will uh, also usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and the new creation, the fourth act. The new heavens and the new earth will come after Jesus fully and finally destroys Satan. So we could, we could change it just a little bit. In the end, in the very end, Christ will win as well. So Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that's the future of Satan. All of that will be destroyed, all evil. But our future in Christ is absolutely amazing. Right? In the new creation, we think about all the, what we lost in the fall will be restored, and it will be made new. It'll be, it'll be made better, greater. So in closing, I just want to read a few um, Scripture from the end here that I'm talking about, what will happen in the end, Revelation 21 and 22. And what to notice here is the good news of our future, of the story of God, but also how all these things have sort of been reversed. All the bad that happened in the fall will be reversed and made new. So we will be with God again in his presence in heaven the new heavens and the new earth. There will be peace, right? Complete and total peace. And there will be no hostility or pain. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So nature is no longer corrupted. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, 
coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell in them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So God and people are together again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. So there's no more death, no more pain that came from the fall. On either side of the river, there was a tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were there for the healing of the nations, so there's no more fighting among peoples, complete peace. No longer will there be anything accursed, right? The curses are done. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Praise God, you know, who makes this all possible through the victory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you that you are this descendant that has come. We thank you for your love for us, for humanity, even though we have messed things up big time that we've seen here and seen all of these consequences. We know that uh, you have provided redemption through Christ. We pray that we would trust him in the midst of all this. We also ask that you would give us help, Lord, and, and as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with the pain of living in this world, give us help through your word. Help us to trust Jesus and treasure him together. And we also pray that uh, you would give us this great hope each day that we'll be united with, with you one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you so much for this time for the power of your word. Amen.